Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, a podcast about difficult conversations. And you know what? This week's conversation is actually a little bit more difficult for me than last week's, even though my guest, Ira Madison, is someone who I probably agree with on almost any policy you could name. But ideological and policy differences are not the only differences we have in this society, and sometimes they're not even the most important differences. And sometimes the differences we don't talk about with our friends are the ones that deserve the most attention. So Ira was good enough uh, to sit down with me for a little while and bear with my massive discomfort about some of this stuff. And I hope you appreciate his patience as much as I did. That conversation coming right up. So welcome, Ira Madison III. Thank you for having me. At Ira on Twitter. We were just talking about how lucky you are. Or not lucky. It was a business negotiation for you to get at Ira. It was. Okay. You're a culture writer at MTV News. And you write a lot about movies. I do. And you've been following specifically, this has been the year of Moonlight. It has been. What's your take on what happened at the Oscars? Because I'll tell you, watching it, it felt metaphorical, but I'm not sure what the metaphor was. Yeah. Uh, What's funny is that I feel like everyone wants to ascribe the election to Mm -hmm. everything. Right. Um, Beyonce losing at the Grammys, the Falcons losing the Super Bowl, when La La Land seemed like it won. Right. Ever, like... The internet, again, was all like, oh. If only this could have happened at the election. Yeah. And, you know, like, I don't know. People relate the election to when Starbucks gives them the wrong order these days. (laughs) But I think that, for me, metaphorically, it was just a reminder of how black people constantly have to share Mm. the space in America. You know, there's never really our specific lane and even when there is you know it's always why don't they have white people on BET you know like that's that's all that's that's always that's always a claim that some twitter egg <laughs> will slide into your mentions and ask like during the BET like music awards or something mm-hmm. and it's Justin Timberlake has a mountain of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Smith has one. You know, it's it's we give awards to more white people at our black awards than white award shows have historically given to black people. Right. Why so, are there historically black colleges, Ira? Um, you know, because of uh, school choice. <laughs> I, I always have felt like we we could just call like Harvard and Yale historically white colleges, right? We I mean, should. like those are that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> and you know this this um, the way that the Moonlight uh, you know had to share the stage literally is now being extended into the aftermath of the Oscars. We were just talking about the cover of Variety. Variety. Yes. Um, so the cover of Variety has Damien Chazelle, the director of La La Land on it, which, of course, historically, Variety does a cover with the winner of Best Director. Um, They've had Alfonso Cuaron on it. Um, 
Inaritu was on the cover. Um, when Inaritu won back to back last year, they had um, the cinematographer for The Revenant. So on they bent the, the rules. So they bent the rules last year. And all I was suggesting online is that if we've bent the rules once, why not bend the rules again? You know, if it was such a historic moment on Sunday, um, not only because Moonlight was the first LGBT picture to win Best Picture, not only because it was the second black film to win Best Picture and the first one was a slave film, Mm. um, the first American black director, because Steve McQueen is British, and the fact that, you know, La La Land was read as the winner at first and then Moonlight was pulled on stage when they realized that there was an error. I just think that nothing has been precedented about Mm -hmm. the um, ceremony. So I just think that why continue to go with precedent and why not just, you know, break free? Um, Barry Jenkins did um, reach out to me on Twitter and tell me that he was um, a guest on the cover. You know, it was Chazelle's cover and Chazelle invited him to be on the cover. But... It's unfortunate that two people who are very friendly with each other um, and love each other's work have to be embroiled in this larger conversation about race in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. But it's one that we need to have, if only because when you Googled Moonlight yesterday, you rarely saw any headlines with mentioning Moonlight's win, mentioning its historic win, and any photos with the cast. They were all the La La Land cast. the import of it being the film that it was, which is not just a black film, but a gay black Black film. film. (laughs) Like, that's really, really fucking important, you know? Like, um... We got to completely skip over the conversation about black male gay sexuality. Yeah. And just talk about, ooh, Ty. Especially, (laughs) um... Especially since um, whenever we talk about, um, you know, black male sexuality, there's Mm -hmm. always, you know, that um, thing about how, like, black people are, quote unquote, more homophobic than white people. Like, that's always a conversation that's brought up. And there's just no discussion about this sort of film, how important it is. And all the headlines were about uh, Jordan Horowitz, the producer who, you know, quickly took the card from Warren Beatty and was like, oh, no, this is Moonlight's moment, which is great. And, you know, in contrast with um, Berger, the other Mm -hmm. producer who decided to read his speech, even (laughs) though he knew that they had lost, um, it looks like a great thing to do. But also, you know, what's the alternative? It's live TV. They weren't going to, you know, scam their way into winning it. They weren't going to be able to take the Oscar and run. You know, it's just sort of... There's a lot of writing and like ballyhoo over doing something that you sort of had to do. It's like I'm gracious giving my seat on a flight to someone when I realize that I'm sitting in the wrong seat. But I could have kept it. Yeah, someone <laughs> told me a story once about how her father, or uncle, during segregation, during Jim Crow era, once gave up his seat for a black woman. And she told me this story with some pride. And I'm like, wow, that's the literal least you can do. (laughs) (laughs) 
did did he sit in? Did he did he go to a sit in? Um, he gave his seat to a black woman. I'm sure she got hit by a police officer and told to move right afterwards. You know, I mean, so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that we I wanted to talk about friendships between black people and white people, Mm -hmm. and the sort of irony of it is that I have a lot of white friends. Good. Maybe you can tell me about white people. Maybe actually that's what I should be asking you about is not you tell me about what black people think, but tell me about what white people think. Because I know that one of the problems with being kind of the black friend Mm -hmm. is that you get turned to as kind of like a confidant, the confessor. Yeah. The 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 black friend on TV is so there's Not a there's a, a stereotype about black tra- <laughs> the black friend who's like always gets killed first in the horror movie, yeah. always like gets gets this sort of like the confessor of the of the her- hero, and yeah. then there's the white woman tells her black friend sassy, like, a sassy the, black yeah, friend tells her about her love right. woes, and then the black friend's like go and get that man girl, <laughs> always with the sassiness. <laughs> but you're saying, but the, but you're you're like, you, when when I told you I wanted to talk about that, you're like which do you want to talk about? But the stereotype is kind of. White people take that stereotype into their lives. True. There's so many instances of it. Um, you know, speaking about the segregation thing, you know, yeah. like how much did white people afford Bernie Sanders during his campaign with, um, you know, he marched with Martin Luther King. Mm. Uh, he was he was right there in the civil rights movement. It's like, okay. Um, you know, it's like people think that doing something like that or voting for Obama gives you like a free race pass and you never have to engage with anything that's current going on anymore. And it's sort of people, I feel like, take one interaction with a black person or maybe the one black person in their life as sort of a way to help them deal with racism um, in a way that is often taxing to black people. You know, it's I um I was going to say they help them deal with racism. It's more that they use it as a badge mm-hmm. of like, I can't be racist. Yeah. I have this black friend. Yeah. And so what does that feel like, though, on 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 the side of the I mean, I, I feel exhausted. weird asking you yeah. because like, hey, black person, <laughs> tell me what it feels like to be a black person. But I want to ask about your experience. You're doing it, too. I know. No. I'm but your personal experience with this. What's that like? Um, let's say like after the election, you know, um, I woke up to a barrage of text messages with just like, wow, how do I process this? Or I'm so sorry about what happened from some people like who aren't even very close friends of mine. And it was just, why do I have to help you process this, you know? It's like I it's that Chris Rock um, joke that he did on SNL, like black people were already sort of prepared to lose. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when Hillary lost, it was white people reaching out to black people and being like, oh, we're sorry. We had no idea that um, there was still so much racism in this country. (laughs) And. And they, like, yeah, they uh, wouldn't have done open that. Open your if, window. And they wouldn't have done that, obviously, if Hillary had lost, but the amount of racism in the country would have been the same. Right. If Hillary had won. Or if Hillary um, had won, yeah, the if, amount of racism in the country would yeah, have been the same. Yeah. The funny thing is, if Hillary had won, 
I wouldn't we wouldn't be having these conversations. Yeah. Um, there'd still be the same amount of racist people. Um, we'd just be moving on, you know, and it's it gets exhausting, you know, and you have and it's never people. Like I said, I actually do have like an abundance of white friends being from. I don't want to throw you to throw anyone under the bus, um, exactly. I'll but... throw all of them under the bus. <laughs> uh, no, but it's uh, I have not even. I have friends who obviously are better than the. I they would actually say out loud. Um, Excuse me, I have a black friend, so mm-hmm. that's what I know. Um, but it manifests itself in different ways, you know? Um, I think that, you know, people may try and speak with an authority on race issues just because they've heard one person say something. I mean, it's the way that um, racist um, or white conservatives will often say reference their black friend mm-hmm. but their black friend is Ben, ben Carson, <laughs> ben Carson. Yeah, everybody that one black friend right. of theirs you know yeah. it's so it's like well which black friend is it when you have one black person to rely on um chances are you don't know what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> Because if if there was a white person who just only listened to me, I don't know I everything. Say, I was gonna say, like, what if you only had one white friend? Yeah, like, and you just processed everything through that one white friend. I mean, no one expects the opposite, right? Right. I have um, my best friend um, loves Madonna and um, <laughs> wrestling, and um, if I only processed white people through that one person, I would think that all white people love Madonna and the WWE. Right. Which, to be fair, those are both very popular things <laughs> with white people. They really are. Well, I'm curious. Again, I don't want to treat you like as a representative of like black culture because that's what we're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. we're, But on the other hand, I do think it's valuable for like good white liberals, people who think of themselves as good white liberals, to understand that their view of the world, if it's shaped by this narrow personal relationships, Mm -hmm. I mean, that matters. Yeah. Um, And it's this narrow idea of sort of expecting things from black people, too. I don't know if this is the black friend trope, but it's because you have sort of a relationship with this black person and you know that they maneuver their way through life um, and understand race in a different lens than you do. Often we're tasked with doing free labor mm. for white people. Um, let me give you an example. <laughs> mm. Uh, mm. Doing free labor for white people. Mm. <laughs> but you, mean, you mean emotional let, labor, let, let, I me, let me give you a non-cotton example. <laughs> um, I am a culture writer. Right. Um, I've written about Moonlight. Which um, we started the conversation about. Yes. Right. Um, I wrote a very long... Uh, very personal essay about Moonlight last year. Which is excellent, and people should check it out. Thank you. Um, After Moonlight won, I was getting, you know, a few tweets from people being like, can't wait to hear Iris take on Moonlight's win, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, where's your piece on, like, Moonlight winning? You know, it's so historic. And... I, you know, I, I hosted a show for um, MTV on election night. So 
I said all I had to say about the Oscars. And or I on have the a, Oscar night. On the Oscar it. night. And I have a piece about it already. You know? Read that piece if you want to know what I think about Moonlight. Um, and you can extrapolate how I feel about its win. You know? It's just the idea that because black people write about certain things that you're sort of expecting um, a response from them. Like, someone tagged me and Kara Brown from Jezebel in a tweet last week, was like, can't wait to hear what they think about Get Out, the new <laughs> horror movie. It's like, because it's a black horror movie, right. it's um, like... Which you do have opinions I about. I have opinions about it, obviously, but do you want to know what I think about this week's episode of Riverdale? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I personally do, because um, I care about your opinion, your thing. But but this is like the problem. I mean, this is sort of when people adopt a you know adopt a Twitter black friend, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, it's there's a there's a lot of times when you're a black person on Twitter who expresses opinions about things or you write about things. Um, you're constantly called upon by other people, you know, say, "What do you think of this? What do you think of that?" Um, particularly, uh, I have a podcast speed dial with Doreen St. Felix. Which is excellent, and you should download it. Um, Doreen St. Felix is at MTV. Um, she's a writer as well. Uh, she writes about music and culture. Oftentimes, she's written about social justice. Um, you know, she wrote when Philando Castile was killed. She wrote about, um, Diamond Reynolds. But, um... Often she's asked, what do you think about this dead black person this week? You know, or like, what do you think of this social issue? Or we really need to get your opinion on this. And that can come from editors. It can come from fans online. Um, Not even just the editors you work with. It can come from, you know, when white editors at other outlets are looking for freelance people. It's always, let me get a black person on the mic you know, mm-hmm. to see what they have to say. It's why you always end up with like, I don't know, some shitty take about Beyonce whenever she does anything. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, we got to find some black person to write something about it, you know? Right. Um, and then what if the black person writes something awful, Right. you know? I'm talking to Ira Madison the third. Uh, who is a culture writer at MTV. Mm-hmm. We're having an awkward conversation, or I'm having an awkward <laughs> conversation with Ira Madison. I don't know how awkward it is for you. Um, I know you, right. so um, it's less awkward than if I were having it with random person on the street. Right. Yeah, which so, does happen. It does? I left, we talked about Get Out. Um, I left a screening of Get Out on Saturday um, with a couple friends and this older white couple um, no, turned no. around and asked us, uh, so what did you think of that no. movie, huh? Oh. Like, it was, and I think it's because it's a comedy, too. You know, like a horror comedy. They're yeah. comfortable asking you that. Because, um, like, nobody asked me what I thought after 12 Years of Slave. Well, I'm just thinking, would they have t- t- turned around and asked you what you thought about La La Land? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> you're not being looked at as an authority. You happen to be an authority on movies and pop culture. Yeah. But that's not the lens that that these yeah. strangers were looking at mm-hmm. you through. They were thinking, "Here is a black person, uh, yeah. a black person. How can I have your opinion?" So we were just talking about the problem of when you have a narrow range of friends and you keep turning to the same 
people or same authors or same Twitter friends yes. over and over the same because you, you feel like I want to get an opinion of a black person mm-hmm. and just these very this very na- narrow range of people or one person starts mm-hmm. to stand in for a whole bunch of people. Yes. Right. So, all right, I'll go with the uncomfortable conversation on my side first, which is I've shared with you, but it's weird to talk about. Which is that a couple of years ago, um, it was actually right around the time of uh, the riots in Ferguson, like I looked around my social media feed and my social life and realized I didn't have very many, not just black friends, I just didn't have very many friends of color. Mm -hmm. And I decided I was going to do something about that, which is a weird thing to say and maybe a weird thing to think. Mm-hmm. But I was like, surely, how else is it going to happen? Got to go to a rap concert. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, it's, it's mostly white people at this. <laughs> I was going to say, like, and also, like, the kind of rap music I like is like the kind of rap music that white people like. So, I mean, I love Beyonce, right? Um, so, for me, I mean, I'm privileged in many ways. And one of the ways, though, is also that I'm a journalist and there are a lot of talented people of color in the journalism world. Mm-hmm. And it was really. Once I kind of thought of it, it was kind of easy to be like, oh, wait, that person wrote a piece I really like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to tell them I liked that piece, even if it wasn't. And maybe this was the trick, even if it wasn't about race. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if it's not about race. (laughs) And actually, now that I think about it, I didn't. That wasn't actually conscious. Like I was just on the prowl for like writing people who are writing really smart, interesting things. Mm And in the back of my mind, maybe I did have a good instinct to not do it about personal essays and not do it about, mm-hmm. like, pieces that are examining race from a personal perspective, but rather just, like, Jamil Bowie's slate, like, amazing political reporting, mm-hmm. right? Joel Anderson at BuzzFeed, also a great reporter, also went to TCU, which was, like, we had to be friends. Um, because, Joel's great. Yeah, Joel's awesome. And then, you know, I wasn't, like, also, I, I, I don't think I did a thing where I was like, and I wanted to be friends and hang out. It was more like, I'm going to tell them they admire their work and like, I'm I'm shrugging my shoulders. (laughs) If I just happen to be at this location... Because people, you know, drag, grab drinks together all the time. Yeah. I didn't try to force anything, but Mm -hmm. I did just sort of make this effort to be like, I'm going to be aware Mm -hmm. of the people I'm reaching out to. And this is the part where it actually, the story gets more and more uncomfortable because... It, I, I don't want to use the phrase it worked because <laughs> that makes it sound like there was like an achievement and I get my white person merit badge, mm-hmm. which I would like to get from you because you're the representative of black people. So give me my white person merit badge. It's very hard to get those badges. No. <laughs> Unlock. <laughs> I do actually it's harder feel, than Girl Scout badges. <laughs> I do feel like I could create a video game based on this, though. <laughs> there would be certain achievements you could unlock and like there would be like having more than one black friend. Yeah. Having more than two, being able to make a joke about race with a black friend—that's like super. That is that is top tier. I and I I actually like. I think you can just this. I we're we 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 share on Slack, and the, you've probably seen this happen. Like I'll make a joke about race and be like, "Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> is that all right? Everybody okay? Is that all right?" Um, but you know, it, again, I don't want to say like, and then the achievements unlocked. But I have found that. It was not, it's not that fucking hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and my life has changed a little bit, you know? Um, it's weird for me to speak about it because, again, I don't want to think of it as something to achieve and I don't want to pat myself on the back. 
But I did take the risk of telling you this story. <laughs> and once a few months ago and you your reaction though um made me feel a lot less weird or better at least because you were just like oh thank god (laughs) thank you for having more than one black friend (laughs) um it is nice when you realize that someone has you know more than one and it's and is it always obvious? Is it is it like kind of obvious when people have more than one black? It friend? can so- kind of be obvious because they'll always like what? reference <laughs> what such and such the says. Other black friend, and um, <laughs> they just always like have the same sort of slanted viewpoint on race. I mean, the movie Dear White People opens with like um, you know um, Tessa, uh, the actress, saying. Um, you know, it's gone up. You now need more than one um, well, what is black it? friend to, you know, be down uh, and your drug dealer doesn't count. Um, I just, yes, <laughs> right. Um, I have a lot less black friends now that don't do as many drugs, but um, or fewer, fewer black people in my life. Um, no, that's not, that's a lie. That's a joke. But I actually so curious. Like, let's get to the uncomfortable part of this. What does it feel like to have that, be something that like I'm at least aware of. Mm-hmm. I think people should be aware of it. Um, I think the problem actually is when people either when they feel too comfortable. You know, I think there should always be a degree of un- of discomfort just because we're talking about uncomfortable things. You know, um, black people's lives aren't comfortable, so. Why should white people who want to know more about black people and, you know, what they're going through in their daily lives, why should that process be comfortable for them? Um, This isn't a exact example, but, um, you know, I am not transgender. Um, I don't. uh, (laughs) Rubbing eyes. Uh, (laughs) But um, I don't. um, So I don't. Did not know that much about uh, right. transgender um, men and women a few years ago. It's through following um, trans people online, um, you know, becoming friends with them, um, reading their work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I particularly love um, Janet Mock, Raquel mm-hmm. Willis online. Um, Parker Malloy. Kat, yeah, Parker Malloy. I love Parker Malloy. Um, Cat Black. Uh, and a lot of it actually is you just want to be, you want to learn more um, so that you can educate yourself. Because I feel like if you fe- if you get to a point, the pr- problem when you know someone has just like the one black friend is when they feel too content, like they know everything, <laughs> you know? It's like, I don't even know everything about white people, you know? I've seen Spin City, but... Um, <laughs> but you know me, so you could yeah. like... I'm pretty, I'm pretty representative of white people. <laughs> uh, but, you know, some white people will be like, oh, I have this black friend, or I grew up with this black friend, and like, I get it all you know but you don't get it all just how by interacting with these great people online i don't know all there is um about the transgender experience about the transgender experience and which is why i continue to read more um i listen when they say something um but you know i also treat them as friends and colleagues online um 
I not to feel proud of myself, but um, I'm proud, you know, when I follow someone because I love their work and then you find out mm-hmm. that they're transgender. Um, be because like, oh, I don't feel cool. like I like, am searching it out right. and trying to be like, um, you know, I need to collect people. But Except you there's should. a balance, right? Yeah. Because like I do think the intentionality is you're not. It's not going to happen otherwise. Yeah. Probably, right? Like yeah. wh- if you want to expand the number of people in your life who are different than mm-hmm. you, because we live in a world that's so siloed. Mm-hmm. Unless you take make that effort. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel uncomfortable. You're not. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And that effort is going to feel uncomfortable. And you just made me realize, like that is like the number one white fear. Mm-hmm. Like white people that you will be uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Discomfort and like the from what I can tell, like the movie Get Out has has something to do yes. with that. Like the white horror movie mm-hmm. is awkward silence. Yeah. And or awkwardness of any kind. And I think you just pointed out something that really turns it around for me, which is that like the lives of people who are in vulnerable communities or positions are always uncomfortable. Yeah. Like the social awkwardness that a white person might feel like stepping out of their comfort zone to like hang out with someone different Mm -hmm. is like, again, literally the least you could do. Mm -hmm. I mean, actually it's not the least, it's something. It's worth doing. Yeah, it's that... um... It's honestly, if it, we didn't want white people to do the work, there wouldn't be articles and things like um, more books to read that help you with intersectional feminism, you mm-hmm. know, more books to read to help you understand trans rights. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's education. Um, I think that I just wish everyone in the world were slightly more curious mm-hmm. about the world around them. You know, I feel like it's less uncomfortable for me to learn about different cultures because I am genuinely interested. Right. You know, and I think part of the problem comes with some people who just really just don't want to know anything Mm -hmm. about the rest of the world. But they sort of feel obligated to. So they don't come off as racist. Uh, And I think that's where, you know. And I think you can get through that discomfort, like this comfort or awkwardness, I feel just even telling you that story and the discomfort and awkwardness I, f- I felt even being intentional. Like I was kind of able to, number one, realize I was being like that discomfort is a tool of oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, if I just stay my life comfortable, then it's not going to happen. And number two, like I do think I can say like I was genuine in my curiosity and interest about other people. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I think that's sort of the thing that separates like in when you get into the nitty gritty of those friendships or what can separate like just following someone online to something that might blossom into a friendship is when you have curiosity in someone's individual experience. Mm-hmm. Like my I'm interested in you, Ira. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you. Yeah. I mean, yes, I want to have black friends and that even I, even saying it still seems weird. Yeah. But like I think you're interesting and cool and I think you can. That's a difference between what, how I relate to you and how someone maybe who's looking just to exactly claim the merit badge. Yeah. Um, and even people who aren't cl- looking to claim a merit badge can accidentally, you know, seem like they are. But it's just like, just own up to, you know, like... Like the thing I talked about, like someone tagging me and being like, can't wait to hear what Ira thinks about like this black thing. Um, <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's just um, be like, oh, you know what? Like, you know, obviously you want to hear 
what I think because you like my other work. And this person, I'm not going to call them out because they've actually they actually interact with all of the things that mm-hmm. I write. Um, but it's you know specifically being like I want this from so and so, you know. And I, it's hard because we talk about we need more representation in the right. media, um, but it's also. I understand it's also hard to be a white editor and be like, um, well, I need to assign a freelance piece. Do I approach this? You know, I have a friend at a uh, publication who was um, specifically reaching out to a black writer to write a piece about Get Out. Um, right. And I made a joke with him. I was like, I guess you have to find a black person to write about it. Um, and it's, you know, part of it comes from if your circle is big enough, right, then it doesn't feel like you're cherry picking. Right, you know, if you have more than one black person on your staff, like um, thankfully we do at MTV, yeah. um, can write about different topics. You know, I don't have to write about politics because Jamil's there. You know, it's like, and in turn, Jamil, and Jamil doesn't, doesn't have, have to write, write about a, civil rights issues all the time. Jamil yeah. can write about anything you know, he yeah. wants because he's covering politics. Yes. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, not feeling like you're placing your black friends or any people of color in your life into a certain beat, mm-hmm. you know? Um, one thing I actually will say that I was thinking about, too, um, about books to read and culture mm-hmm. Um Branch out more into like current, you know, black writers too. You know, I just always find someone online being like, read James Baldwin and Audre Lorde <laughs> and, you know, uh, my Angelou. People and it's who are like, talking about the last civil rights struggle. Yeah, like right? read Claudia Rankin, you know, read uh, Margot Jefferson, read Hinton Owls. It's like, read new writers, mm-hmm. look at new books that are coming out. Um, Oh, Patrick Beatty, Patrick Cooper. Yeah. He wrote this book, The Paul, Sellout. Paul. Paul Beatty. Paul Beatty yeah. wrote The Sellout, which was great. Right. I read it um, on vacation. And it's, you know, it's like seek out new voices. Mm-hmm. Because if you're continually trying to educate yourself on a culture with pieces that were published like 40, 50 years ago. Right. Like, James Baldwin's great, but he <laughs> wasn't writing about what's going on in culture right now. Right. So find those voices. All right. I've been talking to Ira Madison, and it's not as awkward as it could be. But I'm pleased. We can I'm, make it I'm more pleased awkward. <laughs> with, I'm pleased with how awkward it is. Uh, you are listening to with friends like these. So we were just talking about the awkwardness of that white people might feel in reaching out beyond their comfort zone. And I think you you made an important point about, you know, what happens when maybe there's a slight misstep, which is to say, like, you find yourself as a white person, like, being like, I wonder what black person thinks about black thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, because that's the problem. Yeah. And I think you, you sort of touched on this, but I want to make sure I, I'm, I'm getting the right getting it right, which is that it's OK if that happens because you can then be like, oh, I just did this thing. That is a little, you know, stereotyping or cherry picking, right? Learn you did something dumb, you know? Like, that's what education is all about, you know? Like, um, I think people always feel like they have to get it right all Mm -hmm. the time, you know? And if 
education in these matters is just like education in school. I didn't know what fractions were, you know, when I was a kid. Um, I I didn't know um, Pythagorean theorem. Like, I didn't know this shit. So it's like you have to learn and fail. (laughs) Right. So you have to fail to learn anything, you know? And so you're not going to come out of the gate being the perfect ally. Right. And so people are so, because it it is true in like, you know, good, among good American liberals, being called a racist is like the worst thing you could be called. Exactly. It's it's become... Right. I don't know. It's it's become like so no one ever so says slanderous. it anymore, yeah. which means we don't get to talk about it, which is I want to get to that. But mm-hmm. like what I think that can mean is that people are so afraid of being seen as racist or, or being doing something even slightly racist. They just don't do anything right or only do stuff that's within this certain prescribed set of behaviors. Right. When really like we also all do racist things all the time. And it's better, at least if you know that, like, go ahead and say the thing that you're curious about. Mm-hmm. Ask the question that you're curious about. And maybe it doesn't go great. You know, mm-hmm. um, like we have a we have a mutual friend who told me the story, which was about he was like watching football at a friend's house on, um, you know, whatever, like a year ago. And it, during halftime, this friend turned to him and was like, so Trayvon Martin. <laughs> <laughs> This police brutality thing, or like this, you know, this is why this, you know, uh, violence against black people is that's really, gosh, you know, terrible. And our poor friend is like, I want to watch, I want to watch the game. Being caught off guard is the worst. It's like, I I want people to take their own um, experiences and like, you know, realize how other people might feel when you say things like that. You know, yeah. like like if like if for women, if like we're watching a football game and like a guy turns to me and goes to rape. <laughs> God, that sucks. <laughs> it sucks to get raped, doesn't it? What are we gonna do about that? <laughs> but I wanna point out but this friend of mine, I think, had the presence of mind to be like, don't I'm, it's awkward and it's silly and we can mock it. Mm-hmm. But like asking is better than not asking. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, making having made that mistake and getting maybe some pushback from the person saying, I don't want to talk about it right now, and also don't look at me as a single representative, you might get told that. Yeah. And I do that with my friends many times. Like, I've told a friend or two, especially during this, like, um, you know, hotbed of a... Hot mess of, an, of like, a culture? This, <laughs> this, this exploding <laughs> volcano that was 2016. Shit geysers, I like to call it. Yeah. Um, when they said something, you know, it was like, we're not going to talk about that now, but we can have that conversation at a later date. Or, you know, it's or like, go read this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, although still, like, it's the it's the like emotional and intellectual work of like the minority person to have at the ready, yeah. like a list of things to hear. Go read this. Yeah. It's, you know, women, it's... women. I think women feel a little bit of that because mm-hmm. there is something akin to like, so rape. God, that sucks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, that happens for women. Yeah. Um, and it's work, and it's work that you can choose, but it's work that you can choose to do or not to do. Mm-hmm. And it has to be okay to not do it as well. It yeah. has to be okay if your black friend or or your female friend or your transgender friend isn't doesn't like want to bone up on this stuff for you. Like that has to be okay. Yeah. Like there has to be value to that friendship beyond just because the internet exists. Yeah. You know, <laughs> follow a bunch of people and learn something. You know. 
let's let us let us switch a little bit to the shit geyser of 2016 and the aftermath, the continuing, flowing shit geyser. It's still going. It's still going. <laughs> um, what? What are you? What? Again, again, there's the meta conversation of having to turn to you, but like, I'm curious, you, when you see the conversation happening among white liberals right now, like, mm-hmm. what's what's your reaction? When we were wringing our hands about the white working class. Um, wringing our hands about if she only she had had an economic policy or economic appeal closer to Bernie. First of all, I like and, li- and the big question, which we'll get to in a second: Are uh, Trump voters racist? Oh, there we go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's, let's 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 go with a general overview, and then let's get to that question. First of all, I'm just like perfectly glad not to hear the name Hillary Clinton again, <laughs> like ever. <laughs> it's like okay, sis, you lost the election. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Start a foundation or something. I don't know. But like, live your life like Obama now. You know, like, go on a vacation. <laughs> She's singing Broadway shows. You know, it's just like, like, people keep bringing up this is why Hillary lost. This is why Trump won. Um, identity politics, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like we were saying earlier, you wouldn't be having these annoying conversations if Hillary had won. Um, but now so many white people want to be an expert on how we stop racism <laughs> in America. Um, and I, the way that they've decided we stop it is um, by being extra nice to white people. To uh, other white people. To other white people. And right. it's – I learning history um, in school, I never <laughs> saw a single instance where um, – Racism uh, or civil rights were solved by being extra nice to white people, but um, maybe that's in Betsy DeVos's new curriculum. Right. And what you're talking about specifically is this hand-wringing about the white working class, um, which— Who didn't even get him elected. It was— Can I say preach or is that cultural appropriation? You've been to church before. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it like a white person. Preach. (laughs) Tell me more about this. (laughs) You say preach like that? (laughs) That was perfect. Okay. Um, It's it's just, it's an ignorance. They didn't get him elected. Yeah, it's an ignorance of the fact of like, who actually voted for Trump? You know? Rich rich white white people. It's it's the... um, and who didn't vote for him? It's the people at his um, fucking swamp amusement park, Mar-a-Lago, right. right now. Like, those kind of people with the money to spend on, you know, the racist equivalent of Soho House. Right. Uh, to just, like, hang out. Uh, I love <laughs> That is good. <laughs> hang out with Trump and just, like, give him a thumbs up on right. the golf course. It's like those Weigh in are... on North Korea policy. Right. Yeah. Um, those are the people that who got him. him elected. And and to just point out what the counter-argument that might be, yes, rural white counties voted for Trump. But there he wouldn't have won just with them. And also, there's the missing piece, which you can speak to especially, which is that had that 70,000, 80,000 votes turned out in places like Milwaukee, mm-hmm. or 40,000, I think it was in Milwaukee, um, if, if people of color had turned out in even close to the numbers mm-hmm. that they turned out for Obama, 
we would not be having this conversation. And that's about organizing. That's not about whether or not, um, you know, Philip feels bad that you called him a racist. Yeah. Um, that was the first white name I could think of. It's a very of. white name. Okay. Evan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Keith>. Gary. <laughs> Let's just name some white names. <laughs> Is that stereotyping? Ah! Um, well, and also, I mean, so I hate terms like silver lining. Mm-hmm. There are opportunities in the crisis we're having now. One of them is we are talking about the white working class, the plight, the plight of the white working class, which there is, there is a huge opioid epidemic happening that's decimating these communities, like literally decimating these communities, which black people are familiar with this phenomenon. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> like we having having people taken out of their lives and having, drugs destroying a community. Never heard of that before. All right. <laughs> um, as someone I know put it like what's happening in for the rural white working class is what has happened to black communities you know, for a century. Yeah. They're looking at the same kinds of problems. They're looking at families that are that are not um, mm-hmm. nuclear families. They're looking at um, the kind of like grinding, um, how do I just get by, mm-hmm. you know, it, it working class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm glad we're talking about these communities and I think they deserve attention. I do think it is, I think the debate over whether or not they're racist is weird. Yeah. I mean, the difference is that, you know, um, it'll in the future, it'll be easier to make heroin um, legalized than it is pot legalized because black people don't benefit from heroin, really. Um, Although it was vilified. The reason heroin was such a toxic, I mean, I mean, and I mean toxic as in like, oh, my God, I'm not going to touch that is because it was associated with black people for a long time. Yeah. And now it's. Yeah. Now so. it's the new white thing. It's 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 and you see this Iggy Azalea. And you see this weird thing happening. We're kind of going to get off topic, but it's maybe worth pointing out, which is that there are communities that are taking a compassionate look at addiction, and there are police, you know, um, changing policies about how they go about dealing with addicts. But it's happening in white communities because they see white women addicted to, you know. Heroin, which always comes back to white women because the 53% of them voted for Trump. You know, it's America runs on Duncan and white women. (laughs) Um, It's it's hard. I don't want to call all Trump supporters racist. I do. Okay, you want to. Let's be clear. You want to call them that. I I really want to. But um, I think that the conversation we need to be having is... Sure, maybe you're not throwing on a cloak and burning a cross, but we do need to have a conversation in this country about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And we do need to have a conversation about how you cannot be, you can specifically not be racist, um, but you benefit from racism. Right. And I, I do think we sort of touched on, on this, which is the idea that um, the word racist and the concept of racism has become such a. Uh, terrible thing to call somebody that Mm -hmm. we avoid doing it at all costs and also we've associated it with the kind of virulent racism that unfortunately we are seeing Mm -hmm. you know there are the Klan literally supports Donald Trump yeah you know and he is benefiting from the kind of racism that is the I don't want to call it comic book but you know the villain villainy racism he's benefiting from that that's happening yeah but when we talk about David Duke just um just yeah. tweets like he's enjoying an episode of Scandal on Thursday night. 
<laughs> and then Trump is apparently like taking the ideas that, you know, I don't know if he's seeing David Duke tweets, but like ideas that David Duke is putting forward, you know, Grand Dragon and Ku Klux Klan yeah. are, are getting said in the White House. Yeah. So there is that kind of racism happening, but that's not the kind of racism that elected him exactly. No. What, it's the it's the soft racism. It's the what I really the, do want to I'm call. not racist. I just like this thing, this policy that benefits me. Right. Ignoring the fact of whether or not it's racist. Back on you know, we opened mm-hmm. with making the joke about um Betsy and her um HBCU thing. Right. You know, it's she called it school choice, right. um, ignoring the fact that HBCUs were created because black people could not get into um, white colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, say you weren't a white person. Say you were a white person who didn't hate black people. You were just trying to go to school and be educated. You were still benefiting from the racist structure that did not allow black people to go to your college whether or not you even thought about it you know which is why i mean this is going to be people who listen to this podcast are going to have to get used to the term white supremacy because that is so much more useful to talk about than racism because Mm -hmm. a lot of people most people don't hold hate in their hearts i really believe that Mm -hmm. um they're not actively discriminating against people of color in their lives Mm -hmm. but you know the phrase make america make great again if you if that is a phrase you believe in Mm-hmm. You are supporting white supremacy. It's sort of like saying if you support the idea of we need to go back to the 1950s or 1960s, mm-hmm. you're supporting an America that Jim Crow. Yeah, you're supporting America that has no gay marriage that in fact has like you know gay people being beaten on a regular basis. That has yes. so you you're you're saying that which what, is easier for people to say actually <laughs> it's easier for conservatives to say uh we don't want that gay marriage it's they have true. to they have to come up with <laughs> they're okay fu- with that. they have to come up with funny you know like um whimsical ways to be racist you know they have to say like whimsical race be if I'm like, homophobic instead of homophobic yeah, you right. know it's like oh there's some american carnage going on and <laughs> In Chicago, it's like, what are you talking about, really? But with gay people, they can just be like, we don't want them married. Yeah. So, unfortunately, like, our conversation is going to have to draw to a close. I think it was sufficiently awkward. I'm very proud of how awkward it was. I think on the awkward meter. Awkward enough that I felt it. Yeah. But also, hopefully, you know, worthwhile. If you want to follow Ira on Twitter, he's at Ira. Mm -hmm. Um, You should read his stuff on MTV News. And you know what? Maybe I'll have you back because you're my... Oh, wait, no. Sorry. You are a black friend of mine. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.